0: So, friends, we continue our sermon series as we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And today we look at Nehemiah 4. And the title of the sermon series, at least up till this week, is Kingdom Potential. Over the past week or so, uh, just reflecting on the upcoming Ritter Conference and then going to the Ritter Conference um, uh, over the last couple of days, uh, the, the Title Kingdom, the series titled Kingdom Potential is going to be changed likely to God's emerging future. And I don't want to say any more at this time. It might be confusing to many of you. Next week you'll hear more about that. But that's probably what the uh, series is going to be titled. God's emerging future and how we're called to be obedient to move towards that. So as we continue with the book of Nehemiah, we've heard from Nehemiah 1 that he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And as uh, we continue to learn through the book so far, that he was he heard about the devastation that has been in Jerusalem for several decades. And so he had it on his heart to travel to Jerusalem, talk to his boss, he talked to the king, he got the time off. And uh, he traveled to Jerusalem and he rallied the people together to rebuild the uh, city walls of Jerusalem. So today, we read from Nehemiah 4, and uh, we begin with verse 1. So when Sanballat, one of the opposition, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, and of course, Nehemiah is is sharing this story, when he he heard that uh, we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? (laughs) Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their walls of stones. Hear us. This is Nehemiah praying now. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot build, rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is awesome and great and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time I said, also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I, I nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So I begin with the story of Edith. Edith was a mother of eight children in Darlington, Maryland. And she was coming home from a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon. As Edith walked towards her house, she saw five of her youngest children huddled together on the yard. And they were concentrating with intensity and with interest on something. And as Edith slipped near them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack-dab in the middle of of the circle of her kids was a group of baby skunks. And she screamed at the top of her voice, "'Children, run!' And then each child grabbed a skunk and ran." Have you ever had, well, something like that? Maybe not that your children grabbed the skunk and ran, but when you thought that you have the situation under control and you yell, run! And lo and behold, the situation just got more complicated and totally messed up. Murphy's Law states that if anything can go wrong, it will. And Murphy's Law might sound like a little cynical and a defeatist attitude, but it comes from somewhere... Because things sometimes do go wrong. Last week we read from Nehemiah 3. And things then sounded like they were going so well. People were working together in sync, one by one, in a great community. They are getting the important uh, work of building the gates and the walls and the doors of Jerusalem all done. And there was community working together for a common purpose and goal. But now, shortly after, here we're reading in Nehemiah 4, what appeared to be straightforward rebuilding was hampered by outside influence. Recall from chapter 2, verse 10, there was Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, and they were against this project. And then a few verses later, in chapter 2, verse 19, Geshem the Arab was added to make a trio of antagonists. And now Sambalat seems to be the initiator of the criticism. And he ridiculed the Jews. He put the Jews down. He called them names. He threw in some sarcasm. And then Tobiah joins in in the sarcasm. And they—I mean they really sounded like a bunch of immature children bullying the Jewish people. What are those feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. The external criticism that we read in verses 1 to 3 leads to even bigger opposition in verse 7. Other groups were getting angry because of the work that was going on. And the opposition now consisted of the Horonites, the Ammonites, the Arabs, and the men of Ashdod. The opposition kept growing larger. And the outside threat was probably due to Jerusalem being rebuilt along a trade route because if Jerusalem would succeed this could take away some trade from the rest of the nations these nations could lose their economic power how often isn't becoming enemies about power Nehemiah took his time to plan he took time to plan this project he prayed he prayed about this project He had patience. And last week, we we were reminded how the Lord prevails. He was obedient. He was doing the Lord's will. But the project turns out to be a little more complicated than expected because of opposition. What should have been as simple as just kind of running with the vision was not at all that simple. The building of the wall and the gates were more and more complicated and became more and more dangerous. And these external threats and criticisms led to an internal discouragement. In verse 10, the criticism led to the Jewish people crying out, we can't rebuild the wall. And in verse 12, we read, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Fear and discouragement really set in. Discouragement is the devil's weapon. The devil used the outside sources to create inner turmoil. Satan didn't even need the Sanballats and Tobias to actually fight against the Jews. He only needed them to criticize the Jews. Because after a while, the outside source is not an issue because discouragement has now set in. And once discouragement sets in, the people kind of just tend to destroy themselves because discouragement becomes a distraction. We start off doing God's will, God's emerging future, but discouragement prevents us from doing the Lord's will and his call upon our lives. There's this old story um, about discouragement, and it's called the devil's tool sale. Maybe you've heard it before. It was advertised that the devil was putting his tools up for sale and they had various prices on them and there were a lot of treacherous instruments. Hatred was going for $100, envy for $400, jealousy for $600, and then deceit and pride and lying. They all went for various prices. Separate from most of the other tools was this harmless-looking tool that appeared used more than any of the others. One of the customers asked the devil how much for that tool and the devil replied that tool is not for sale the man asked well what makes that tool so special well replied the devil that tool is the most useful tool i own and without it i wouldn't be half as effective in my work with that tool alone i can accomplish my every task and the man replied like what's the name of that tool and this slow and wicked grin grew across the devil's face That tool's name is discouragement. The devil responded, When I can't bring down my victims with the rest of my tools, I use discouragement. Because so few people realize it belongs to me. Nothing paralyzes a person. Nothing stops someone in their tracks like discouragement and hopelessness. Discouragement and hopelessness are no respecters of persons. They keep the unemployed unemployed. The homeless homeless the sick, sick, and they can even draw the most powerful ministry to its knees. When overcome with discouragement and hopelessness, the person can't pray, they can't worship, they, can't, they become a victim of their environment. Discouragement and hopelessness drains their victims of courage, vision, faith, expectation, and the will to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And the devil continued, If I can get you discouraged and hopeless, then I have successfully neutralized you. You are left with only enough energy to feel sorry for yourself. Discouragement can bring defeat. And the Jews here were discouraged. As we said, they cried out, We can't rebuild this wall. Discouragement created a stagnant mindset, kind of a default future, away from God's emerging future. And there are no doubt times of discouragement. Discouragement sets into our minds, into our hearts. And Jesus is often quite straightforward of the crazy world that we live in. I mean, John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You will have trouble. On the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus' preaching to thousands says in Matthew 6, verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own, but discouragement does not need to win. It is important for us to focus on the Lord and on His will. We sang this morning, seek God. Seek His kingdom. Do not allow discouragement to fool us into Disobedience. Discouragement is an enemy of the church, and the devil thrives on discouragement in the church. But as prevalent as discouragement is, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are we to do? God's word tells us that Nehemiah took his discouragement to God in prayer. The best thing that Nehemiah and the people could do is to work from their knees. We bow down, we bend our knees, and we pray. Commit everything to the Lord. This theme of prayer has been coming up in probably every chapter so far. It's an important theme in Nehemiah. It's an important theme in Scripture. Pray, commit everything to the Lord, and then get back to what is also important. And in this case, rebuilding the walls. Because anything that prevents you from doing what God has called you to do will only help the enemy. Yes, take it to the Lord in prayer, but continue a life of obedience. Nehemiah didn't try to argue against any of the ridicule from the nations, he didn't yell back. Nehemiah dropped to his knees and he took his plea to the Lord. Now, his prayer is something else. It's rather honest. If you ask me, it's a little embarrassing for Christians. The prayer is a harsh prayer. and would appear that it should not come out of the mouth of a Christian. Nehemiah is telling God to turn their insults back to them, to plunder them, don't cover up their guilt, don't forgive their sins. you've got to ask, where's the grace? Nehemiah's prayer reflects that those who opposed the work and the Jews were actually in opposition to God. The prayer was offered not because the Jews were insulted, but that God had been insulted. God had already pronounced judgment on the enemies of Israel. Nehemiah was only praying according to God's will it was it is suggested that what was prayed was not Nehemiah's will for the nations it was God's will for the nations those nations who opposed God's people and God's plans enemies of God so Nehemiah being a man of prayer we know that already was likely aware and had clarity of God's will and he was able to pray this prayer unless you specifically know God's will otherwise, we're probably not going to pray a prayer like this. And we're taught in the New Testament to pray not revenge, but forgiveness. Forgiving those who have wronged us. Jesus commands us to love our enemies. I believe that's God's will for us today. Then in verse 9, the people again pray to God. Nehemiah reminds the people in verse 14 to refocus on God. Refocus your attention on that great and awesome God. A God who's frustrated the plans of the enemy. A God who works through his people to ensure that God's plan prevails. God worked through Nehemiah to set up an army surrounding the city walls. Verse 16 is about spiritual warfare. And we can read more. You can read more about spiritual warfare in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 10 and following verses. It's referring there to putting on the armor of God and, and other clothing that we need to wear, that we have to fight against the spiritual warfare. And this involves prayer, as Nehemiah and the Jews took part in. But this also involved being active other ways, being proactive. Prayer is not a substitute for action. So God used his people to protect the city. They were used over 24 hours each day. The city had been vulnerable with broken walls. The city and its people were prey for the predators. And they had to be more protective and defensive than any other city. They had to set up a defense. Prayer was imperative. And they also had to create an army of people verse 16 half the men did the work while the other half were equipped with army gear and posted behind the people protecting them those who carried materials did so with one hand and they held a weapon with the other hand as we heard they didn't even change their clothes day and night they were on guard god used his people and provided the resource the resources for his people and through his people And God's people could boldly proclaim, as verse 20 does, our God will fight for us. And he will fight with the help of his people. Because part of God helping the people was that the people had to be prepared to help themselves. The people with the problem had to be part of the solution. If we live in a neighborhood that's got a rash of break-ins, by all means, we should take our worry to God in prayer. But we can't just pray about it. If we feel that someone may break into our home, then we better take an active role, and we better lock the door, perhaps install a security system, maybe get a good watchdog. Yes, God will thwart the plans of the enemy, but he will also use his people in his plans. We need to be part of the solution. Our God has conquered Satan through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God did not simply do this through the snap of his fingers, even though he could have. God sent his son as a baby. His son came through the line of Judah. His son was born through the Virgin Mary. His son then chose 12 disciples, and one of them sent Jesus to be crucified on the cross. God uses people to bring about his plans of salvation, and scripture even talks about how we're called to work out our salvation. Salvation is only in Christ alone, but we're called to be part of the plan. And God did this to show that he was personally involved with the opposition in this world. The opposition is what took Christ to the cross and ultimately killed the Savior of the world. And that could have led to a lot of discouragement. But God's plans were not destroyed. And this was all according to God's plan of redemption promised throughout the Old Testament scriptures that a Savior would be born A savior would be killed. A savior would rise from the dead and conquer evil. God sent his son to conquer the devil. And he used humanity in his plans. God sent Christ to fight our battles against evil sources. But we too are involved in that fight. Jesus was to be born from the tribe of Judah. Satan hated the Jews because salvation would come through the line of the Jews. And Satan tried everything to destroy this line. And Satan would do anything to destroy the church. And Satan hates the church because people are brought to salvation through the means of the church. There will be opposition from the world. And Satan will count on Christians getting discouraged, but Satan has not won. God has won through the death and the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ through Jesus the victory is won earlier we read John 13, uh, 16 verse 33 in this world you will have trouble but this verse ends with but take heart I have overcome the world Let God continue to work in us so that we're not discouraged. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, let us remain focused on Jesus and His church. Let us remain focused on the calling that God has placed on each of us, on our hearts. Let us remain focused where God is leading His church. Turn to God in prayer and turn to God in action. Follow Him. Believe in Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. We're called to a response of faith in Christ and a life of gratitude and thankful actions that will follow Jesus. I think one important way to rid of discouragement, we've already talked about prayer and focusing on Jesus, but also is to encourage. Hebrews 10.25 commands us to continue meeting together as God's people to encourage one another. We do that through times of worship. We do that through small groups. We do that throughout the week. Build one another up. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we have an opportunity to come out again for a service and a potluck dessert and we'll hear a further message on how we can build one another up. And these are not supposed to be some feel-good sermons and motivational sermons encouraging us to do God's work. That's not what it's about. It's God's Word. And our God will use us to prevent the plans of the enemy. Our God will fight for us. And let's not be discouraged. When life suddenly seems and appears so out of control as it did with Edith and her children, skunks. Or with Nehemiah and the Jews. Or as Murphy's Law states, don't let the opposition discourage us. God is with us. And he calls us to a life of prayer to a life of action, to a life of encouraging one another. Put our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's continue the work that the Lord has called us to in his church and in his kingdom. And let's continue to pr- pursue God's preferred future as a community of the saints. I close off with these powerful words as they are given to us from Isaiah, Prophet Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I summoned you by name, that you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, knowing full well that there is opposition in this world. And we may often say that if things can go wrong, they will. So forgive us for times when we allow discouragement to distract us from you. Lord, things do make us discouraged at times, but through what you have done through your Son, our Savior, you provide us hope. Thank you for overcoming sin and death and for overcoming this world of sin. And may your spirit encourage us and and comfort us. And may we as your people not fail to meet and encourage one another. May we as your people not fail to drop to our knees and pray. To seek you. To seek your kingdom first. Forgive us when it's easier to put people down and to ridicule people. And help us to be people of grace and love living the life that you would live if you lived our lives. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.